Welcome to Sibyline Podcasts, part of our Insight series, where we aim to provide relevant, timely, and actionable analysis in discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more Insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe, and share. Hello, and welcome to another Sibyline podcast in our Insight series. My name is Bendix Manzin. I'm the lead Sub-Saharan Africa analyst here at Sibyline. And joining me today are Conrad Petratis, our lead Americas analyst, and Eduardo Braga, our lead Latin America analyst. Discussing with me today the Brazilian presidential elections and diving right into it. Obviously, we, we saw before the elections that there was a lot of expectation that Lula was going to wipe the floor with Bolsonaro. Why was this polling so fundamentally wrong, Eduardo? Well, there are many three factors that can help us understand what is behind it. And I will say the first factor would be uh, the economic one. And it relates to the reduction in general prices in recent months that has affected the middle classes more sensitively, straightening Bolsonaro's popularity in this social stratum. People with lower incomes, uh, however, continue to feel the squeeze in the price of basic items, such as food. But for those, the increase in the money allocated uh, to Auxilio Brasil, the Brazilian aid, was reversing some of Bolsonaro's rejection, especially in the region uh, where he had a very high rejection uh, rate. Also commenting on uh, the polling errors that we've seen pretty much in the vein of the past two Trump elections, the Colombian peace referendum and Brexit, we continue to see that a lot of pollers are underestimating perhaps our key conservative vote or just voter intention from key demographics. I see. And ahead of the, you know, the next round in the presidential election, do we have any idea about the kind of alliances that are being created for this part of the electoral process? Well, there uh, a lot of arrangements and uh, agreements were, were made, but they are quite fragmented, if I can put it this way, where some parties have even left open the support of you know, one of the candidates running now the second rounds. While the party leaders support one of the candidates, governors and senators from the same party allow they're able to support all the presidential candidates. It's pretty much a, a proper Brazilian carnival. In no way, and this alliance means that there will be a transmission of votes. I think it's clear that votes who opted for the third and fourth place candidates were looking for an alternative for a third way, if I may put it this way. But I personally believe that the key question here is why they choose this third way. It will be more a kind of reactive vote in the second round for those who didn't vote for Bolsonaro or Lula. I think we were going to see that will convert into a high abstention rate, probably, in the pools. And maybe for those who are more attached to the civic dirties, the conversion to reactive vote, as I say, a vote against the worst option. So I think that in the end, final result is up to them. Thank you. And considering this kind of this reactive nature of the second round, the bid to keep out the worst candidates, Conrad, would you be willing to comment on who you think is the most likely candidate to succeed in the next round? So our in-house models develop the data 
people here in Sibeline, they placed initial chances for Lula to win right around uh, 80%. That has changed a little bit. It's now roughly 75%. So our base case scenario is that Lula will succeed in the second round. We might see some issues with the polling that might move that number into maybe 76, 74%, but we strongly believe Lula will win. In that situation, what do you expect from a Lula government then, given that they, he appears to be the most likely next president of Brazil? So Lula's a very complex character. So he's not traditionally left-wing in the economic sense. He veers more to this center ground when we refer to economics. This past two terms, I should mention, were some, you could argue, was a little bit of an economic miracle what he pulled out there. Uh, considering he governed through 2008 and the financial crisis, he averaged 4.5% annual growth. He reduced public debt from roughly 60% to 40% of GDP, slowed inflation from around 12% in 2002 to just under 6% eight years later. And I think most importantly, of all is right around 20 million Brazilians got lifted out of poverty in just eight years. That's an incredible feat for any government. Can he reproduce those results? That's up for debate. Thank you for that. I mean, even though you know, it seems likely that Lula will win, on the off chance that Bolsonaro was able to pull through, what would that government look like? Are we expecting to see more of the same from the last few years or some kind of escalation considering his conflicts with Supreme Court. Yeah, I believe if Bolsonaro, uh, Bolsonaro if re-elected, uh, will begin the new mandate, uh, first of all, uh, with uh, unprecedented strength, because uh, though he have lost the first round, it was a victory for his party. We have unprecedented support, legislative and at the Congress. I think we are likely to see a crusade against the STF, as you well put, and economically his intention is to continue what he has done so far continue with the process of privatization and concessions that was the flagship of his government, economic policy, reducing the size of the states and, and the public deficit. Thank you for that. It sounds like we're in for a really interesting few weeks until the next election is held, and certainly a few more interesting years after that. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again to discuss developments in Brazil shortly. But until then, thank you both for your contributions. And now I'm going to talk to Tom Carter, our Europe analyst, about uh, notable events to watch in the coming week or so. Uh, Tom? Hi, Ben. Thank you very much for that, guys. That was very interesting. So the events to watch globally. In Europe, between the 14th and 16th of October, in the United Kingdom, Extinction Rebellion is organising a weekend of resistance. Extinction Rebellion will lead direct actions and protests across the country with a mass action plan on Friday the 14th. The most disruptive actions will likely take place in London, though airports, oil, gas and financial service sites will also be at increased risk of direct action across the country. On November the 1st in Denmark, snap elections will be held. The ruling Social Democrat Party lost support of their parliamentary allies who threatened with a no-confidence vote if the PM did not call snap elections. Government instability risks will be elevated in the coming months. In Eurasia, on the 1st of November in Russia, delayed autumn conscription cycles begin. Following partial mobilization announcement, normal conscription cycles 
is likely to exasperate anti-mobilization sentiment, particularly if conscripts are deployed to Ukraine after the annexation of occupied regions. For Asia Pacific, in early November, Malaysia, general elections are expected to be held. Following the dissolution of parliament, elections must be held within 60 days, with the expectation that they will be held during the early part of November before the monsoon season intensifies. Opposition groups have criticized the early election as they claim the flood risks and rains will drive down turnout. The ruling UMNO party is expected to strengthen their position in parliament and reduce dependence on alliance partners. For the Middle East and North Africa, between the 8th and 23rd of October in Morocco, planned air traffic controllers strike. The suspension of air traffic services will increase travel and logistic risk for businesses. The potential lack of monitoring will heighten aviation risk for commercial air routes crossing or in the vicinity of Moroccan airspace. On the 15th of October in Tunisia, planned demonstrations led by the National Salvation Front, a strong security posture will increase the risk of violent clashes and bystander risks, with localised traffic disruptions likely around the protest hotspots. This is expected to include major squares, roads and government buildings. For Latin America, on the 24th of October in Colombia, nationwide anti-government protests. Similar to anti-government protests on the 26th of September, the up-and-coming protests are likely to draw significant numbers of anti-government activists. While the locations have not been announced, the protests will likely cause travel disruptions along protest routes. Clashes are possible, increasing bystander risks. In Brazil, on the 30th of October, a second round runoff presidential elections. There are concerns over fraud allegations by the incumbent president, President Jair Bolsonaro, as he is not projected to win the second round ballot. Domestic unrest and political violence is likely in the run-up to and on the election day. And finally, from the 24th of October in the US, the Trump Organization has been called to testify in an investigation of criminal tax fraud being carried out by the New York Attorney General. The Trump Organization's former financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, has been named as the defendant in the lawsuit, having pleaded guilty. Weiselberg is expected to testify against the Trump Organization, adding fuel to the court case and potentially substantiating allegations of fraud against the Trump family. Protests and other demonstrations are likely to occur in the area surrounding the court proceedings in New York City outside Trump Towers with potential clashes between counter-protests. Thank you for that, Tom. And thank you all for listening. If you have any further questions, please feel free to get in touch with us at info That is I-N-F-O at S-I-B-Y-L-L-I-N-E dot co dot UK. We look forward to you tuning in again for our next podcast series. Thank you to my experts. Thank you, bye.